Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome back to Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher, and it is our season finale. We are here already, and we've got a packed show to send you out to the new year the right way. We're going to continue talking about the MILB contraction plan that Major League Baseball doesn't want us to know about yet. Congresswoman Lori Trahan and Binghamton Rumble Ponies owner John Hughes are here to talk about that plan. And we are back from the winter meetings, and we had a blast We've got all angles of the winter meetings covered for you, and we can't wait to really break down what was just an incredible couple of days in San Diego. But first, the story of MILB contraction. We've talked about it on the show really before it even became a big story, and I think it bears repeating and it bears discussing about how bad this really is for baseball. And something kind of put it in perspective for us last weekend. So in my day job, I run the Austin Revolution Film Festival. We are one of the biggest film festivals in the country, ranked incredibly high by filmmakers. It is a festival that is built on really bringing the scrappy collection of of truly independent filmmakers. And for those of you who don't know independent film, I, I don't mean independent film with Steve Carell. I mean the kind of filmmaking that is about blood, sweat, and tears, not unlike a lot of the minor league baseball players that play in all levels of the MILB and independent ball. And so the good folks in St. Angelo, Texas at the CVB have contracted with us to put together a festival in their town. And so we went and we spent the weekend in St. Angelo, taking a tour, looking around, having a great time. It's a great little town. And we stumbled onto Angelo State. And I'm a baseball nut. And so I immediately wanted to go look at the ball field in Surprise, surprise, the baseball stadium was open. And so we walk in and there was a tryout camp, a um, don't know exactly what you would call it, but essentially a showcase. I think it was called a showcase of high school players looking for college scholarships. And it was one of the most tense experiences that I've ever seen. Um, there were all sorts of play going on in the field. People were hitting, pitching, fielding. There were parents in the crowd, but it was deathly quiet. There was um, no response when anything would happen. I saw a kid sail a curveball over a head and and sort of a, a, a gasp from some of the parents watching. And so I started chatting with one of the moms about it. And then it kind of hit me that those of you who know anything about youth baseball, youth baseball is is these days a year-round endeavor. It's it's high school teams, it's travel ball, it's select ball, it's all of these, these, these levels of baseball being played throughout the entire year. And, and it's not just players because it's parents spending entire weekends at ball fields in the dead of summer watching games. It's, it's the expense that it takes to do it and it is the time given up. And all of a sudden that's boiled down for these parents and these families to this one showcase in Angelo State, 
hoping to get to play at the next level and then the next level. And so I'm thinking about this and then it hits me with minor league contraction and part of the plan for what Major League Baseball wants to do is that those opportunities for those players that maybe are on the fringe, maybe haven't quite developed just yet, those opportunities are being cut by a third or by a half. And it kind of really just, not that I needed it, but reinvigorated me for how much I hate this whole plan and how much it kind of misses the point and how much it's borderline un-American, the idea that you can achieve something maybe a little bit later than as opposed to being born with this already developed talent that let's be honest, how often does that really happen? And I think what I mean by that is, you know, coming out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I enlisted in the military. I learned so much about myself and about life. And then in my 20s, I was a 28-year-old freshman in film school. So for me, the idea of essentially saying you either can play ball out of high school or out of college at this level of of expertise and forgetting the fact that people are going to develop later it feels un-American. I can't I can't say that enough. And it just started getting me thinking about why minor league baseball is so important. It is the grassroots way to grow fans, first of all. We've talked before. I just don't know that a lot of people flip on a baseball game a nationally televised Red Sox-Yankees game, because that's really who's mostly televised. I don't know that a lot of them flip it on and go, oh, this is a cool thing I want to keep watching. I don't. I just don't think that happens. I also don't think that the game can sustain itself that way. I don't think it's like football, where you really can do nothing but actually just watch it and stay a fan. I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan. I've been to a Cowboys fan game in my life. Still consider myself a Cowboys fan. Still get mad at Jason Garrett for clapping instead of winning. So I, I, I think that it's being, I think that baseball and, and, and football are not the same. You need to have high quality baseball and the minor leagues are high quality baseball. When you sit down and you watch that game, you can't really see more than a marginal difference between that and an MLB game. And I challenge anybody who thinks that's different, who thinks differently. It's also how you find new talent. Not everyone coming out of high school or college is going to be major league ready. And you can use all the land analytics you want, all the cameras that you want, all the computers that you want, but putting them in a team setting on a, fe- on a stage in front of people on a field Some people are going to crumble and some people are going to shine. But I also think that we're also underestimating the fact that you find players through the minor leagues. And I don't mean players develop. I mean, there have been several stories of players drafted really high out of high school or college who the first time they went to a major league stadium, meaning they'd never been to an MLB game before, was when they signed their contract and got their little photo taken. Contraction is bad at another level. Most of these teams are in smaller communities. Um, And if you look at the map of where a lot of this contraction is supposed to happen, it really is middle America. And, you know, we're in the middle of this, this intense political 
discussion about this middle of the country that already feels like they're being, you know, flyover states, like they feel like they're being left alone. Well, go look at the map of what's being contracted. How many teams are in that area? So not only are you taking jobs away from players, but you're also taking jobs away from someone's first high school job that might be taking tickets to minor league GMs to, I mean, the jobs, they run the gamut. Communities also depend on these teams to do things like attract other tourists. They bring in other ancillary business. People come to see games. They stay in hotel rooms. They eat at restaurants. They do other things in these communities. And I think the other thing that we're missing on this contraction is that a lot of these owners or communities, they commit either private or tax dollars to the effort to upgrade, build new parks on good faith. As we're going to hear, sometimes with the guidance of the Major League Parent Club, and yet they're still threatened to be to have their team taken away. And I think it's irresponsible and, again, un-American to throw these commitments away. Look, some parks need to be upgraded. Some teams did not meet their end of the commitment. And I think that if you want to close those teams down, you need to first make sure they meet that commitment. But yet, again, as I mentioned before, a lot of the teams on this list, they aren't some of the teams that are that, that didn't do that, that didn't miss their commitment. Like they have maintained their facilities. They have great facilities and they're on the list anyway. Or they have already arranged with their parent club to upgrade and they're on the list anyway. The other excuse is minor league baseball travel is a bear. And yes, it is. And, and it's hours on buses. But again, some of the leagues with the biggest geographical footprint are not affected by this contraction. Yes, minor league baseball players need to be paid more. It is embarrassing what they're paid. But you don't raise salaries for an industry by eliminating half the industry. And if they did that to any other workforce, we would be up in arms. But we have it with this Major League Baseball thing with minor league baseball players. We're like, well, they're playing a kid's game, so they don't know. They need to be paid fairly. But what we're depending on and what needs to happen, and, and, and it's what George W. Bush, sorry, George H.W. Bush referred to as voodoo economics. What should happen and what isn't happening is that the owners of these parent clubs that have seen record profits, that money's not trickling down where it needs to trickle down. And so, of course, unless they're forced and compelled to do it, the way they're going to raise prices is by making sure that the aggregate dollars they lose is the same. They're just going to cut that workforce in half. And it's so emblematic of where we are right now that it's embarrassing that this is what's being talked about. We need to fix minor league baseball, but we can't ignore all of those things that minor league baseball brings to fans, to communities, to players. And, and this is what, what a lot of these teams are missing, what it brings to their team. Because it does expand your fan base footprint. We've talked, we talked to the Quad Cities River Bandits. There were people excited about a 2017 World Series win because they're part of the Astros farm system. There's no other reason why gear would be sold in Davenport, Iowa with the orange start and the white H. 
There just isn't. So there's so much to the story, and we're going to keep talking about it. We're excited to have Congresswoman Lori Trahan on the show and the owner of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, John Hughes, on the show. So stay with us. It's going to be interesting and informative. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So it is our honor to welcome to the show Congresswoman Lori Trahan from Massachusetts. She's the co-chair of the Save Minor League Baseball Task Force. Congresswoman, I know you're super busy, but thank you so much for being on Let's Get To. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, you know, I grew up in Houston, Texas, where minor league baseball is not a thing. We have a major league team. Um, but I discovered it much later and absolutely fell in love. So can you just kind of explain to people why it's so important to communities like your hometown of Lowell, Massachusetts? Absolutely. You know, the Lowell Spinners, uh, I grew up in Lowell, um, but the Lowell Spinners is my team and they're an affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, uh, you know, minor league teams across the United States provide a critical economic and cultural benefit um, to their communities. Uh, so when the MLB announced uh, their plan to cut 42 teams from the minors, uh, what I think we all quickly realized is that would devastate these communities. And so Congress does have an obligation and frankly a right to be part of these discussions, seeing as though that cut would impact uh, so many of our uh, hometowns, um, but also so many fans and so many families who don't have access to the major leagues, either because they don't live um uh, close by to a major league team, or they just can't afford it. I mean, I grew up at work, Lowell's a working class city, and there are too many families who can't go into Fenway, but they can go see the spinners uh, on a summer night and with their family and have, you know, a, a you know food and and something to drink and even afford to buy some merchandise. So right. it's uh, it's it's been an incredible um, it's been an incredible uh, cultural benefit to uh, to the city. And I think that lays out perfectly why government should be involved. So with you forming the Save Minor League Baseball Task Force, what do you hope to accomplish with Major League Baseball as far as getting them to look at at the plan? So first, you know, we know we understand that they're at the beginning of their conversation. Uh, and so I think our intention um, – has been to make sure that they know where we stand on this issue. Uh, you know, I often use the the example because I, you know, I, I worked in the private sector for 13 years before I came here. And, you know, sometimes we can get seduced by that spreadsheet, right? Like if you're looking for cost efficiencies, it's easy to delete a line or a, or a cell on a spreadsheet to get there. Um, but what Congress wants to do is remind the MLB that these are communities, these are families, these are people who rely on minor leagues to bring their sons and daughters to games to get a chance or a glimpse of someone who's going to play in the big leagues someday. Uh, and I think that voice is such an important one as they continue uh, with this discussion on this uh, on this particular proposal. Um, as you know, Congress has been uh, a great partner uh, to not just Major League Baseball, but to all pro sports for over a century. Uh, and so, you know, we want to continue that partnership. Uh, so we're monitoring these conversations and these negotiations closely. What would you say that people like me can do? You know, obviously you guys are doing your, your duty to your communities by pressing the issue. What would you suggest to normal people? Should they be writing the MLB? Should be they be putting pressure um, through their own teams? Absolutely. You know, I'm going to go home um, today. today uh, and before I come back to Washington, we're going to have a Save the Spinners 
uh, meeting in my hometown, right? So that the community's voice is lifted and part of this conversation. Uh, and I think every community that's going to be impacted should be doing the same thing. Uh, you know, letter campaigns to the commissioner is absolutely important. I mean, the whole point is for them to understand the stakes of this decision. Um, and these are, you know, people all across the country that would, you know, frankly mourn uh, minor league baseball going away in uh, in their community. And so I do think that, uh, the, you know, right now we're kind of carrying this torch, but it's spread to the Senate. Uh, it's going to spread to the governors. Um, but the people who live and uh, enjoy these teams in their communities, I think they have a lot to say and a lot to add to this as well. And I think the proof is that that, that it such seems to be such a bipartisan when we don't have a whole lot of that these days as a real good sign of how important this is. You bet. I mean, I, that's uh, uh, one of the positive externalities of, you know, baseball bringing us all together is that you're exactly right. I mean, Washington is uh, is pretty divided right now uh, and for obvious reasons. But, you know, this is this is an area where we all agree, uh, you know, building this coalition took days, not weeks, not months. <laughs> Uh, we literally came together like glue uh, in a moment's notice. And I think, you know, one, the country wants to see us, you know, build that muscle again. But then, two, when you find, like, common ground that's so clear, um, of course there's going to be a very bipartisan and a coordinated response. And I think baseball continu has continued to do that, you know, throughout our history, and it's doing, you know, it's happening right now. Well, Congressman, thank you so much. I know y'all are super busy for taking the time to be on Let's Get To. It means the world to us, and we're going to keep pushing this as well. Thank you for all your help, and uh, we're, we're, we're going to save the minor leagues together. So thanks so much. So it's our privilege on Let's Get To to welcome John Hughes, owner of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. He is, they are the AA affiliate of the New York Mets. And for all you Astros fans out there, that's right, the New York Mets, now the home of Jake Marisnik. Pour one out for Jake. But, John, thanks so much for joining us this early in the morning. Oh, sure. No, it's great to be with you. I'm on the East Coast, so got to sleep in a little bit this morning, which is always nice. <laughs> and, uh, the nice and chilly East Coast. It's only 70 here, so I, I it's early, but I guess <laughs> I win. Um but I want to talk a little bit about the Rumble Ponies. It's actually been a club we've been watching um, all season long, and one of the one of our favorite brands, one of our favorite designs. But a little bit, what does that that team mean to the community of Binghamton? Well, you know, several years ago, uh, before I bought the team, uh, there were a lot of rumors and consternation about oh, the team is moving and it's being sold or relocated. And you know, I came in and bought the team under a lot of. Uh, duress, uncertainty, and the future was really up in the air, which was the number one reason I decided, hey, we're going to rebrand this team. This isn't uh, uh, the New York Mets team. Uh, we're not the Mets. Blue and orange represent the Dodgers and Giants that left New York City, right, for, for greener pastures, and I didn't want to kind of continue that tradition. I wanted to put our own staple on it and say, you know, we are Binghamton's team. We are going to represent this community, and it was a little bit of foreshadowing, right, in that years down the road this would really come into play because we're not the new york mets team we are binghamton and and it means everything to the community you know a lot of people talk about oh you're last in the eastern league in attendance and your attendance isn't great but guess what i mean i have this conversation with people all the time we're not hartford 
we're not Richmond. We're not cities of over a million people. You, you know, we're not Portland where we are a tourist destination uh, on the, in the Northeast. Uh, I mean, we're a, a market of 225,000 people, probably closer to 200,000. And we draw great for our area. I mean, we're never going to be able to compete with cities over a, a million people. It's just, it's mathematically impossible. So we do well for our market. And that's what I think we should be commended on. Well, and I also think that the, that, that, that made the point of minor league baseball and the point of both affiliated and independent league baseball is that communities, regardless of size, need access to the sport for the sport to grow. Oh, yeah. I mean, Binghamton is about two and a half, maybe three hours at most to, uh, from City Field or Yankee Stadium, you, you know, and the cold hard truth of it is a lot of people uh, in that community can't afford to spend a Tuesday night or even a weekend and spend $1,500 or $2,000 to go down to the city and and watch a game. I mean, these are people that are, are challenged and the, the area was uh, uh, devastated years ago by the loss of the manufacturing industry and it's coming back it's not there yet but we're, we're real close and our people without this there is no baseball there is no baseball they're, they're, they're not driving to fire island on the fourth of july weekend we are their fourth of july weekend and, and we take that seriously and we want to put on a great show for our fans which is what connects them to baseball well, it's and again, it's funny because you're you guys are one of the brands we had actually circled to have on profiling the team next year, and I still want to do that. But the reason why we're doing the call early is because you were included in minor league baseball's uh, the list that major league baseball had leaked out of possible forty two teams to be contracted. And so, I guess my first question is, how did you find out the Rumble Ponies were on the list? Did you see it like I did in the media, or did somebody at least tell you? Yeah, you know, it was very surprising. Uh, I was watching the World Series and I saw across the scroll across the bottom, this is a Major League Baseball's proposal to contract 42 teams. And you start going, okay, well, what's this all about? And then the next few days, it just comes out of the media. You know, I think that communication hasn't been uh, the best. And But I understand sometimes in negotiations, you got to try to keep things close hold to protect the, the, the interest of the negotiations. But unfortunately, in this circumstance, it, it all kind of linked out, but yeah, I found out like everybody else th- through the general media. It's interesting um, because I'm, I'm, you know, and listeners of the show know this that I am a, a pretty hardcore bleed blue and orange Astros fan. And I first heard about the plan randomly enough. My mother in law saw an article in five thirty eight about how the Astros had changed the way they do minor leagues, and it's. Of all the things the Astros are involved in right now, this is the least proud of, of my team that I am. And then I saw that it had that ESPN ran a similar story around the same time that had just mentioned a lot of low A teams and short season teams. And then I saw the list of teams and I saw several double A teams like the Rumble Ponies that are iconic and part of minor league baseball on the list. And it just it, the whole thing feels really, really shady. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it really does. And, you know, the Astros – they're a great organization and have done some 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 very tremendous things for the sport. But at the same time, it's easy to say what we're doing works when you're finished basically last and tanked for about five years and right. we're picking at the top of the draft. Uh, it's not too hard to pick uh, people and, and have them be, come out on top uh, for sure. So we'll, we'll see how that model plays out over the next few years when they're picking at the bottom of the first round or, or maybe not even at that that high, depending on how this sign stealing thing comes out. Right. Um, well, but you it, know, I mean, that's it, it is what it is for the Astros, and and 
we'll let them suffer their own for their own actions. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I think one of the things that I think the Astros miss, and I'm going to use the Astros as the example because they are spearheading this plan, is they are l- purely looking at it from a, how do we evaluate players. I don't think they understand how baseball has grown and baseball has grown in communities across the country in teams of all sizes and affiliations. Oh, oh yeah. I, and, you know, I think the thing that the, the analytics people are really missing is how do you grow baseball? So, so you know, your next Mike Trout, let's go watch, let the kids play, right? If the kids don't go to the games, if the kids don't get exposure to baseball, how are you going to grow the sport and how are you going to create the next uh, Garrett Cole, the next Mike Trout, the next Aaron Judge? I mean, all, all phenomenal players. And I mean, how do you grow that if people don't have access to the game in Iowa, in upstate New York, in West Virginia? Where do these kids come from? They're going to be out playing soccer or whatever other sport they happen to get exposure to. Well, that's a great point because, I mean, you, you hear this all the time every time there's a draft that there's usually some number one pick in that first 30 picks whose first time they'd ever been to a major league park was the day they were introduced after being signed because they grew up watching it in smaller communities and more rural communities and communities all over the country. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a disproportionate number of ultimately major leaguers come from rural, small town America. That's that's where baseball happens. So for for your park, you guys just did, if I'm reading this correctly, in 2016, some improvements to um, NYSEG Stadium. This is the part that I think that that Major League Baseball is going to have to really rationalize because they make this argument in one hand that, well, these are all stadiums that are falling apart, that they don't meet any standards. And yet I have like – in the in the thirty minor league games I went to last year for our show, I went to a lot of parks that maybe should have been on this list that aren't, and a lot of parks that are on the list that shouldn't have been. How is Major League Baseball going to rationalize the fact that a lot of these communities have put money into these parks for now nothing? Oh, I know, it's, and a lot of owners have put uh, money in, in, into these parks so over the past three years. Uh, Nine point five million dollars has been put into Nysic Stadium for upgrades, and you know a lot of these things have been coordinated directly with the New York Mets. The new batting tunnel, changes to the locker room, changes to the clubhouses, the field. You you know, last year we had a few issues with the field, so we completely redid the field again uh, this year. But that's that's the troubling part for us, right, is how you go put in a new video board, a new field, new seats, new locker room, new batting tunnel, and they tell you that, hey, 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 uh, you don't meet the standards, but yet – Every bit of everything that we did was coordinated with Major League Baseball. So that that part has uh, some legs to grow before it gains any traction on my end. And same thing with we want to be geographically separated. I mean, you could walk from Nysic Stadium to Syracuse where AAA is. And if you had a few days, you could probably walk down to City Field. Um, so you can't really use that as a as rationale for us. As far as any kind of contraction talks. Well, and I'll tell you, because where, where I live, I live in, I live in, obviously on my shows out of Austin, Texas. And so we're, we do a lot of the Texas league and no team has a further driving schedule in affiliated minor league baseball than the Texas league. And none of those teams are on the list for contraction. So it, their, their argument doesn't hold water in that area either. Oh yeah. And then you look at, uh, hey, let's bring the Sugarland Skeeters into uh, minor league baseball. But yet we conveniently failed to mention that one of the owners of the Houston Astros is one of the owners of the Sugarland Skeeters. Yeah, that's a whole right. That that it's a, <laughs> I mean, and that was something that when I saw that floated, 
I went. I immediately went into super conspiracy theory mode and was like, "Well, what they're going to do then is they're going to let Round Rock go to wherever because, and then they will somehow make Sugarland the AAA affiliate of the Astros." I think Crane had always wanted one closer, so I think that that leads. I think that really captures the whole point. There's a lot more going on than what Major League Baseball is saying is going on in the story. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And, and you know, you hit on like a a nerve for us, right? So you look at. Okay, bring one of this AAA team closer. Well, that's great. Let minor league baseball come into his territory. That option was presented, uh, as far as I know, and Houston said, no, this is our territory. We're, we're, we're not going to uh, allow minor league baseball into it. So by default, they let independent baseball come in and build a multi-million dollar fantastic stadium for people other than their own players to play in. Right, and now it's all circling back. It, it's it, it It's... Again, of all the things my team has been involved in, this is the thing that has me the most embarrassed. Um, so let's let's uh, let's say that the worst case happens and the, and there is contraction in Binghamton. Like, what will that mean? Do you feel like to the community, not just for baseball, but I mean, we're talking about jobs. We're talking about lots of other economic impact. Oh yeah, well, there's also a morale thing to it, right? When you have when you have an economy, when you have a community that is rallying and, and digging themselves out of a hole when IBM left and a lot of other major manufacturing left and they're digging themselves out of a hole. And then when you see is minor league baseball just be taken from them and told, Hey, you're not worthy. And that everything that you've done is irrelevant. I mean, that's kind of a gut punch. So there's that aspect, which is more prevalent than the dollars and cents. So then when you start looking at, okay, how are we going to continue baseball in in Binghamton, uh, the bottom line is there probably won't be because John Hughes won't be part of any dream league uh, that happens because that is not a financially supportable situation where you can't take on all of these additional expenses and still try to make money and not, not only make money, but I'm talking about break even. Uh, I've, I've kind of run the math and there's no way we're going to break even under this scenario of taking on three or $400,000 of additional uh, expenses. And then also you factor in, Hey, how are you going to go to your sponsors who are supporting double a baseball and say, Hey, we're no longer affiliated with major league baseball, but we need you to pay the same amount of support for, for a product. That's probably not even half of what you're putting out there. Now it's a tough sell. The Dream League part of that, I think, is maybe the most insulting. You're basically – Major League Baseball is basically telling you all to become independent-ish. You'd be better off joining the Atlantic League at that point if if that's what, what, what was your option. Oh, 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 for sure. I mean, we, we would probably look at doing something like that, going independent baseball, where there is not only a level of support but a level of trust. And I think that's one thing here that's been really undermined is trust, you, you know, for the better part of – a decade, there's been a lot of trust between the two organizations. Now all of that has really been undermined by nefarious motives that nobody's really being honest about. How about that? No, I think that's great. So what can we do? Like, I know that um, a lot of people on media, they're using the hashtag safe hometown baseball. They are putting pressure on, on representatives. What can we do as minor league baseball fans to kind of help put the pressure on the major, on major league baseball? Yeah, you know, I think you can do a couple of things, right? Um, for sure, create awareness is, is is the big thing. This is really taking off and becoming uh, something that I'm proud of. Is at, it's becoming a grassroots discussion for people all across America, and that hey, we in, in 
in Iowa. We, we want to play baseball. You, you know, you look at uh, Williamsport. Hey, it's a great community. Founder of Little League. They played Little League World Series there. They played Major League Baseball games there. And now all of a sudden, they're not good enough. Uh, so creating the awareness and, and, and having discussions just like you are doing, we certainly appreciate that. Also, contacting your... Uh, representatives. I mean, the House of Representatives, as well as many senators we talked to, they have been a fantastic supporter. In these days of troubled politics, right, <laughs> the red team versus the blue team and all that drama, it doesn't exist in baseball, which, again, is why baseball is America's sport, because it brings people together for no other reason than it's, it's baseball. I mean, it's as simple as that. Families, hot dogs, having fun. And enjoying one another. But I think the other thing that people could do, such as you Houston Astro fans, hey, when they call you and want to renew your season tickets, ask them, hey, why are you guys trying to kill off minor league baseball? That's something else that uh, I think people across America could do as well. Well, I I really think that's uh, exactly what we need to do. We need to put a lot of pressure on. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this morning. I wish it was under better circumstances. We will circle back with you guys during the season to check in, but Thanks for at least taking the time to be on Let's Get To this morning. No, it'll be great. And most of all, I'll be looking forward to talking to you in the 2021 season when there's double-A baseball in Binghamton. I want, to, I want to invite you up for a game for that, for sure. It's a date. <laughs> hey, thank you. appreciate your time. So again, we want to thank Congresswoman Trahan for joining us and Mr. Hughes of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. So now we're going to dive into the winter meetings, and it was an awesome experience. We can't thank minor league baseball enough for giving us the opportunity to be there to cover the event. The winter meetings to, to explain how massive it is. There's no, nothing I can do to fully sell how big this whole event is. And there's a, so much going on that to cover it all. And we were really only able to be there for two days. It was not nearly enough time. The winter meetings consists of a job fair a trade show, there are seminars, and then MLB and MILB business. And from a certain people-watching perspective, which isn't necessarily my bag, but so many prominent ESPN and MLB and web personalities that were there, it was kind of nuts. It was fun to run into execs that we covered, some teams that we're going to cover next year, some teams that are now interested in having us out. And we had just a blast soaking it all in. We talked to folks who were looking for jobs, some of them first ever in baseball. And I'm talking about first baseball job, like some of them for their first job ever. And, you know, it was funny. We would go through the job fair area and they would look at our badge and get real excited, hoping like we, I guess we were a team that could maybe hire them. I don't know, but I felt for them what it was like to have been in my early twenties, wet behind the ears, looking for the first crack of everything. Some of them were in there like, suits that it looked like they maybe the work to graduation three years earlier, like they were a little ill-fitting. I mean, it was just, it was um, very endearing how awkward some of it was. And we wish all of them luck. And, you know, they must really love the game to be willing to go to a destination job fair like that, knowing it's causing them great expense. But I want to really applaud minor league baseball for some of what they do, because some of the things they offer, things like how to build a resume. You know, these are skills that whether or not their baseball career works out, some of the things they learn, some of the things minor league baseball took the time to teach them is stuff that's going to stay with them for the rest of their life. And I thought it was really generous of minor league baseball to 
give them that opportunity while also looking for their first opportunity to work in baseball. The other main part of the winter meetings that we covered was the trade show. And this was like, it was a comic con for baseball. It's really the only way to describe it. Ironically enough that it's also in San Diego, but it was just massive. And it was anything from people with new types of scoreboards that teams can install in their stadiums to where are they going to get their giveaways and, and bobblehead orders? And the new era booth blew my mind. We met some great folks at Zoomer Sport and All-Star Dogs and the Wilson Sporting Goods booth. It, it was just great. And I just felt like this moment of, in the best possible way, baseball overload, just being surrounded by so many levels of the game and where so much of the stuff comes from that it was great. And we met, we got a couple of great interviews on the floor of the trade show that we're excited to share with you. And so, like I said, the trade show was for me, like Comic-Con, I actually had flashbacks to a comic convention I went to about 10 years ago when I just was, I'm admittedly pretty ADD and I did not know where to look. I was just involved in all of it. And it was amazing. But something caught my eye, and that was S. Preston's Designs booth. He is a minimalist artist that does a lot of MLB stadium art, and he does a lot of MLB mascot art, and he did a couple of special World Series art pieces as well. And so after we dropped, well, I don't want to admit how much money, but let's just say I got a very cool Christmas present coming out of it. We asked S. Preston if he would come on the show, and he was more than delighted. We are here at the winter meetings at the trade show where we just spent a lot of money on S. Preston Designs Art. How's it going? Awesome. How are you doing? Uh, great. So uh, why don't you tell a little bit about your art? Because you've got a, first of all, super talented, but you are definitely baseball influenced. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So basically what I've taken is it's called minimalism, which means less is more. And we all like minimalism. We all like we all like to keep everything clean, um, everything very, uh, very organized and, and and so what I took is that ideal of minimalism brought him to baseball and I focused on the stadiums and the mascots and the idea is I took one iconic feature of every ballpark and I just focused right onto that and create a, a piece of minimalist art um, and it's really resonated with a lot a lot of people so for example uh, since we're audio only um, I'm for Minute Maid Park I have, a, I have a train with oranges on it actually the one before that for uh, Minute Maid Park I just had the hill with the one flagpole sticking up man the hill yeah. right and I think and no matter where you go in the country people don't know what that is but if you're in Houston you know what that hill with that flagpole is there what that means to you or not doesn't mean to you um, uh, for the Astrodome it's just a row of seats with the multiple colors um, that that's important um, and the cool thing about doing stadiums is, is it doesn't matter if your team's winning or losing. It, you could be last in the league or doing really great, and this Astros is a good example. It doesn't matter. The stadium is our home. And uh, having a piece of art that reminds you of your home, that's what art's supposed to be. It's supposed to be on the wall to give you a good feeling. So um, that's what I did. I, I created this minimal ballparks. The piece that I got, which I means a lot to me, and because you took that old Astrodome scoreboard design, which they never won, and you made the trophy feel like part of that, which to me felt like justification of 43 years of fandom. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that piece and other pieces similar. Oh yeah. So I make a, a trophy series. Uh, I do minimalist trophies and I try to grab uh, the emotion and feelings of that 
of that fan base and create a trophy series. So I've done it the last five years since the Royals, Cubs, and then when the Astros came around, I, so I was there at Game Seven. Uh, I'm, I'm based. In what? Yeah, I was based in. Uh, I'm based in L.A. and I was. I want. I'm going to Game Seven. If there's a Game Seven in your home city, you got to go. Uh, I saw. The, I saw the Astros win that game. Um, and I remember seeing a man in the corner just weeping. He was must have been 60, 65, and he was, and I could just, I can, I can feel his that he he's been waiting a really long time, uh, and he was there at the Astrodome. So I wanted to bring something from that 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 connects that long history of this man's life as an Astro fan, and that's why I, I picked the Astrodome. That's it's an important. It's as as I was told, it's a very important part of being an Astro fan is. The Astrodome connecting to the to Minute Maid Park, so there, it's an all it's a cool LED version yes. of, of the trophy and the and the bull, the snorting bull with the two flags uh, sticking out of his head. And no, it's amazing. So talk about a little bit of some of your other work. You have logo stuff. You have some movie reference stuff. Yeah, the cool part is that I actually don't do anything player related. I am MLBPA licensed, but uh, I feel that um, there's the part of the game that's that we love is the players. We love memorabilia and art, but I focus on mascots I focus on stadiums uh, I, I feel like that again that's more a little timeless and um, since then especially the mascot art uh, most of the mascots have reached out to me they love the fact that they, I create art of them and I celebrate them we as kids love the mascots like we that's a we don't necessarily like if you got a five-year-old they're not necessarily going to remember who Correa or Altuve is but they'll remember Orbit and that's really important. That's a whole part of baseball that doesn't that isn't isn't celebrated I feel uh, in, in the in the way in the art form. Well, S. Preston, thank you so much for being on Let's Get To. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Um, my website's sprestondesigns.com. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's poot poot. And I'm also on Instagram at sprestondesigns. So thank you again, S. Preston, for being on the show. And we're going to put all your contact information in the description of this podcast. So as we kept walking and passing all of the hat booths and the places where you could get alternative jerseys made, we stumbled upon the Baseball Prospectus booth. And this was a little bit like, I don't know, like the time I met Alex Ross to keep my comic book convention comparison going. And I'm a big Baseball Prospectus reader. I love everything about it. I obsessively check it just about every morning uh, of the baseball regular season. So I was thrilled to ask Craig Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, to come on the show and he said yes. It was my Christmas, he went to Jared moment. And we're super excited on Let's Get To as we continue our tour of the winter meetings to be with Craig Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus. Craig, how's it, Craig, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for being here. So you guys are at the winter meetings. First of all, just being at the winter meetings, what does that mean for your, your business and the brand and, and getting that out to fans? Yeah, so right now we're at the the trade show. We have our annual uh, our futures guide and our team editions out uh, to show what we're capable of doing. We're you know we have that come out every year in the beginning or really the, the beginning of February, end of January, and so it just you know shows people what we're what we're up to, and we want to get them aware of what we're doing. Uh, I'm also in the media room, kind of tracking the transactions that are going on and coordinating our coverage, uh, you know, throughout the site and making sure that we you know we get every details. I'm available there if there's a press conference like Mike Rizzo had today for Steven Strasburg. I'm, I'm there if I want to be able to ask a question, I can do that. Is this the fun part for you? Knowing, like, Because i got to imagine Strasburg 
comes in, changes everything as far as what could be projected. Cole's going to go somewhere soon. Is this the fun part for you? Yeah, this it is, and it's a great time. You know, it's it's one of those things where everyone's in the same place, uh, all at you know all at once, all the teams, all the media, uh, and and everyone here in the trade show. It's a, it's just a great opportunity to connect with everyone, network, and then you know be able to cycle through your reactions and and what it means for every team when when something goes down. So you're, you're the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, and it's one of the most sort of intelligently driven baseball websites out there. But where does your love for the game come from? I, mean, I, I grew up uh, a baseball fan. It's always been the thing that, that I cared about the most. I played all the sports, but I was really a base- I wasn't a good baseball player, but I loved it. Uh, my dad was a, a big baseball fan. Uh, I'm a Dodgers fan. I grew up in Maryland, but he was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan from New York. So I was a Dodgers fan. I, you know, I was a person out of out of place. And then you know MLB comes out with like game day audio back in the day, which is the radio feed. Then MLB TV, and I'm able to watch the team I care about from across the country. I just think it's a it's a special thing that people are able to do and connect with on on a grassroots level, even when they're not in the area, you know, the community that the teams are in. So it's just it's come from what my dad cared about and and you know what I what I ended up caring about. I, I rooted for who he rooted for, and it was uh, it just engendered a love of the game for me. So let's talk again about Garrett Cole's going to sign soon, right? And so all the projections seem to be Yankees or Dodgers or or yeah. How much does Cole signing change the projections for the A? Like, I assume in your projections it's going to be between Astros and Yankees right now. Does, is, does that put them over? Is it, is it that dramatic? So we're dealing with our, our very early iterations of Pakoda, our, our proprietary projection system. Uh, but we don't have it out to the team level right now. But someone on the order of, I mean, when you're talking about Garrett Cole, you're talking about a potential seven or eight win player in terms of wins above replacement. So it shifts the balance a significant amount. Now, the the key to for a lot of people is to understand that a significant amount can be somewhere in the range of three to five percent. But that's a lot when you're talking about one person's impact on a 25-man roster. And then really what you're talking about is a 40-man roster that sees guys cycle on in and out when you're talking about prospects or, or mid-season acquisitions, stuff like that. So even though you're talking single-digit percents, it, it's really a dramatic impact. So last question. You're obviously one of now the major driving websites in baseball. People know who Baseball Perspectives is. As an individual fan, has that changed your ability to fan or has it made it better? Yeah, I actually wrote about this a couple of years ago. I, I think it's made me a bigger baseball fan, but maybe a, bit, a little bit less of a Dodgers fan. Like I said, I grew up that way, and I still, you know, I love the team, and I, I probably watch them more than anyone, but I watch a ton of baseball. And what I, I, was, I was just talking about this with someone else, but what I root for is good games, good players. Like, I want to see, I, I'm so, like, how lucky are we to have Fernando Tatis? How lucky... Uh, Tatis Jr., how lucky are we to have Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Alex Bregman? All of these guys are, you know, 25 years, often younger, and they're just ridiculously good baseball players. I love watching Fernando Tatis. I love watching Alex Bregman. I love watching Jordan Alvarez, right? Like, those guys are the future, and they're here right now, and they're crushing it. And, like, I, whether that's, that's against the Dodgers, whether it's against a team I, I, was, I didn't grow up being a fan of, I, I just consider myself lucky, and I think that makes me a bigger fan of the game overall. I want to see that flourish more than just one particular team. Yeah, I was thinking about the what you said about the home run that beat the Astros. At the end of the day, that's just a great piece of hitting, and whether it's your fan or not, you have to appreciate it. Exactly. And again, you know, I saw I saw Juan Soto hit a home run uh, that that tied the game against the Dodgers that Howie Kendrick eventually won this year. 
But how do I not sit there and marvel at? I mean, it's crushing on a personal level. You look at Clayton Kershaw getting beaten in the playoffs again. That that narrative. But Juan Soto, 20 years old, hit a home run off of Clayton Kershaw to tie it in a game five. That's everything. I mean, that's, that's why baseball's baseball. So, t- Craig, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, we're at baseballperspectus.com. That's that's for the site. I'm on Twitter, CD Goldstein, uh, and uh, I'm pretty active on there. So. You know, get at me. I know that I follow you, and we'll put links. Thanks so much for being on Let's Get To. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, again, thank you, Craig, for being on the show. You can follow him on Twitter and follow Baseball Prospectus on Twitter. And we'll have links to all of those in the description of this podcast. The baseball winter meetings is a huge undertaking that needs an army of volunteers to get it done. So many warm, welcoming smiles, all sporting those super cool volunteer baseball jerseys, were making it happen in San Diego. We were excited to meet Deanna Felsiglia, a softball player from St. Leo University in Florida by way of the Bronx, and it was really exciting for us to get to talk to Deanna. Okay, so we're excited on Let's Get To to welcome Deanna Falsiglia. She is volunteering at the winter meetings. Deanna, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm glad to be here. So you're from St. Leo University. Where's that? It is right outside of Tampa in Florida. And how, why are you volunteering at the winter meetings, giving up, I got to think, the beginning of your winter break? To be in San Diego. I just answered my own question. <laughs> okay, so obviously this is a great opportunity. Um, I'm a sport business major, and um, at my school they had something set up for us to go here. And last year six guys had gone, and this year there was an opportunity for two of us to go, and I got chosen, and it's a great opportunity, so I'm here. And so you're looking for a career in baseball after this? Is that part of what, what this is for? Yes, so I'm only a junior. I don't know exactly uh, what I would like to do. I know I love working with people, but I definitely would like to work in baseball in some way. And so beyond having to work, are you able to get like contacts, things like that, to maybe help push that forward? Yeah, so I've already met a few people. Uh, We've exchanged cards. I'm going to be going to the job fair today, hopefully meet more people, and I'm here all week. And that I work here, I've been able to meet a lot of people face-to-face, so that's pretty good. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on our show. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. So thank you again, Deanna. Good luck with the rest of your career at St. Leo University. And good luck with wherever life takes you, hopefully, in a career in baseball. And so we're excited to welcome back to the show. I think this is now his third appearance, Mr. Jess Canaster, who's um, been at the winter meetings, going through the job search process. Jess, how's it going? It's going pretty well, James. Thanks for having me. How are you this morning? I'm good. Um, it's a lot colder than it was in San Diego, and so that <laughs> and hanging out with you, I miss. Yeah, uh, last night. Uh, so the last night of the winter meetings, they always have a, a gala, and uh, when it's in a major league city like it like it, it was this year. Uh, they have it at uh, the ballpark when they can because you know you tie in baseball as much as possible. And it was just funny to see. You could tell the people from parts of the country that have actual winter um, because they were they were wearing shorts or they were wearing short sleeve shirts. And then there were the people like myself who were bundled up because it was uh, sixty degrees and that constitutes as cold as we're used to as Californians. So Jess, one of the things I think is really cool is the is the job fair portion of minor league baseball from the stuff that they offer to um, just the whole process. So tell me a little bit like abstractly, what is the process if you wanted to go to the winter meetings and find a job in minor league baseball like? 
Well, so uh, the job fair, I mean, the name itself, I think, lends it to uh, something different than what it actually is. But uh, uh, the way the job fair is set up and the, the, the people that have run this job fair now for 25 plus years, I believe, uh, it's set up so that either recent graduates or, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, people who have just graduated uh, college generally will show up and there's uh, a room that has 500 or so over the course of the next couple or uh, over the course of a couple days 500 or so jobs uh and they range from uh turf management uh, uh fancy way to say groundskeeper to mascot to uh business uh business ops baseball ops ticket sales media relations, maybe some play-by-play stuff. And so you, you put your uh, resume in the, the corresponding box. Every job posting has a number. You put your, your resume in the box and the executives who are looking to hire that week will pick them up when they can because the winter meetings are thusly named because minor league executives are meeting with sponsors and potential uh, vendors at the trade show and you know they're busy working, but then they're also doing some hiring during the week. So it's it's really a, it's a cool opportunity from that standpoint, where everybody congregates, uh, both job seekers and employers alike. But I think where it really is uh, uh, helpful to people looking to find a job, well, like myself this year and and hundreds of other job seekers, is everybody's all in one place. So it's really hard to not bump into somebody who could be helpful in your job seeking journey. So let's talk a little bit about your experience then. So again, this was your fourth rodeo. So you really weren't, you know, I'm assuming you didn't take advantage necessarily of the the resume workshops that they offer because you've already done that. But talk to me a little bit about your specific journey. Like what kind of jobs were you applying for and, and how, were, how did, did you get any interviews? <laughs> Uh, I had had three in-person interviews uh, as direct result of what I applied for at the job fair. And, and at least in my experience uh, from the last few years, I went last year in Las Vegas and then uh, had, a, had a break from when I went previously in 2013 and 2014 in uh, Orlando and uh, in San Diego. But I found a lot of uh, full-time jobs in marketing and in uh, promotions and uh, game presentation, uh, like in the production room. So I, I actually ended up having three interviews. Uh, one team I interviewed with uh, twice and two, two, different, uh, two different sets of people in, in those interviews. So it was uh, much more fruitful for me personally than had been at any previous winter meetings and, and, and job fair. And, uh, you know, it kind of, uh, it, it's, I think it's easy to get discouraged. And one of the things they say to all job seekers here is, uh, if you don't get a job or if you don't get an interview even, and you leave the week having spent a few hundred dollars on flights and hotels and food, and you're schmoozing with, with all these people to try and, to try and set something up and you don't get, uh, even get an interview through the job process to not get discouraged. But I think in truth, uh, everybody recognizes how hard that actually is to, to, to not be a little bummed out. Uh, but for me, you know, I, I can only speak to how nice it was to not have to think about that this week. 
Yeah, I mean, I I do have to think, and we we sort of uh, I think lovingly <clears throat> joked about some of the. Cho- I mean, let's be honest, the children that we saw waiting and just being so nervous. And Jessica and I noticed that sometimes they would look at our badges and get real excited until they realized we couldn't hire them. And I just, I, my heart went out to them. But I think, again, what a good experience for them because, you know, once you get out of school, it's not easy out there getting a job in any industry. Well, uh, absolutely uh, not. It's, it's, it's very difficult with that. And then uh, I would say having talked to a few of the job seekers who were, uh, you know, fresh out of college or about to be graduated from from their undergrads? Uh, I noticed more so than than in the past. I feel uh, people who were entering this experience and ready for 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 work <clears throat> with far more internship experience than I recall in, in years past. And you know, maybe it may be that that it's always been that way, but. Certainly, when I came to my first job fair uh, in 2013, and I had just graduated with with my bachelor's, uh, I did not have any internship experience in minor league baseball, and I think that also helps the the part of the country that you're in. the The West Coast, obviously, there's there's fewer minor league teams, and the East Coast, I don't think you can go more than about 30 miles without finding five or six. Um, but so, uh, a lot of these kids are very prepared in terms of having worked in collegiate summer baseball or short season baseball, uh, uh, places that they have been able to balance with their school because school only goes so late into the year or they're in, they just happen to be in the right place to be able to intern for a triple A team or a double A team while the, uh, school year is still going on. So. But yeah, the the idea that these kids are coming in and you know, fully unprepared, I, I think that's that's not entirely uh, you know that that's not right. But it also, it is just so difficult. I think anybody can get a leg up in any way. People will certainly take that. So uh, you know, it was cool kind of being with you because you know, for pro- programming note, we hung out for the majority of the winter meetings when I was there, and you know, you would get get interest from interviews and I know you've already had three in person. So what is next? I mean, do you have follow-up interviews? What, what, how do you kind of think it's going to go? Well, so the, uh, the timeline that I've been given by uh, all three different organizations that I, that I talked with, and I, I think it's probably not too dissimilar from many of the other organizations that were looking for people here, but did not hire. Cause there are, there are lots of teams that will come to the winter meetings looking to hire internships or jobs and they offered them as late this week as yesterday and so there's plenty of people who are going back to wherever they 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 came from uh for the winter meetings with a job but for me uh, i'm supposed to hear something from all three organizations in the next week or so so i'll go back to northern california and just very impatiently stare at my phone hoping that I get a, a phone call or an email from, uh, from, from any one of the teams that I spoke with. And there might be a, a follow-up interview with one of the teams. There might be just kind of a, here's a rundown of what we have. But uh, it sounds like one way or the other, I'm supposed to hear from all three organizations in the next week or so. Because uh, you know the jobs that I applied for and the jobs that I interviewed for are all full-time positions, and they want to get that person installed as soon as possible because 
now that the winter meetings are over, the season's in only four months. So there's 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 not a, a whole lot of time anymore to just kind of uh, using one of your favorite words. There's not a whole lot of time to lollygag around anymore. <laughs> there is not. So we all know what uh, what you want for Hanukkah this year is the most ideal full time position out there. Yeah, I, I give me give me eight nights of employment for a minor league team. I'll I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> Well, Jess, I know at least one thing. You're going to have employment on this radio show when we get back to baseball season. I will pay you in hugs and booze when I see you. Um, but th- <laughs> seriously, though, thank you so much for being a part of our first season. It's been, it was awesome getting to know you that I met through the show, and it's. I think you've been invaluable to the show. So thank you. I, I, it's been a pleasure to be on, and it's been a pleasure to listen to. And certainly, I, I feel like from a minor league baseball standpoint, community-wise, and certainly you, you experienced it, uh, while you were in San Diego for the winter meetings, there is no person that doesn't have the whole six degrees going on. Uh, if you worked in a different city, oh, you must know this person or you must know this person. And so that sort of community really exists. And the fact that you and I met uh, while in minor league baseball in, in, in Midland uh, and and we have that connection and we've we've expanded on that, I think that is a perfect a real uh, uh, example of what minor league baseball is. It's, it's a giant community that seems spread out, but you put everybody in the same place and you realize that we're all very closely connected. Well said, Jess. Thanks so much for being on our finale of Let's Get To. Thanks for having me, James. I'm looking forward to next year. So as we wrap up our winter meetings coverage on Let's Get Two, we're excited to welcome back Matthew Berry from the Midland Rockhounds. So Matthew, we've talked to a job seeker, we've talked to a volunteer, we've talked to people that had booths at the trade show. What's the winter meetings like for you, somebody who's working for a club trying to get things happen, make things happen for the Rockhounds? So uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know it depends on how many people uh, people you bring with you. I think uh, so. It, it can be. Um, all about hiring. It can be all about, you know, the different events that minor league baseball puts on. It could be all about buying. Um, so there's a little bit of everything for us to consider when we go into these events, but, uh, you know, we, it's, it's just awesome that we, we have the opportunity to all come together, um, after the season like this, all the vendors have an opportunity to put their new products in front of us. And then, you know, all these, uh, job seekers also have the opportunity to find a team to uh, hopefully have a have a place to stay with uh, moving forward in the next season. So I want to talk a little bit about your hire, like sort of the job part from your perspective. And then I know you also had responsibility with the parent club. So but first with with looking for for employees, I mean, how how daunting is that for you? I know we were hanging out for a bit and it, you just you, you had stacks of resumes. So what's that process like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough process. Um, you know, for us, we're going in mainly looking for some summer interns. Um, we've hired mostly, uh, before the event for the other jobs that we had, uh, posted throughout the off season. So, um, you know, we feel personally, we feel really good about where we're at with our, with our, uh, uh, employees moving forward for the 2020 season. Um, but you know, when, when you go to those events, you, you always got to look for a diamond in the rough. Uh, you're bombarded with a lot of papers, uh, a lot of resumes. So, 
um, you know, for, for the job seeker, it, it could be overwhelming. And for the team, you know, it, it's just a lot to, a lot of information to, to go through. And, and hopefully you can find somebody that's, uh, you know, qualified or, or, you know, right timing. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So, you know, for, for a lot of the jobs that we had posted there mainly were general internships for either J- starting in January, which, you know, that turnaround's pretty quick for those job applicants. Um, but then also, you know, for the 2020, um, summer interns that starts in May. So it's a lot of, uh, graduating seniors or juniors that, uh, want to get some experience before they, they graduate. Um, and, and then they can see if minor league baseball is actually what they want to do. I would imagine too, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because in this um, year that we've done the show, the correlation between minor league baseball and independent film, it's so, there's, there's a lot of similarities and I got to imagine fit from a personality perspective is almost as important as, Hey, you've got a really good set of, of prerequisites or, or set of experience. Would you say that's, that's part of it that you got to make sure that you can fit in a team like that? Yeah, I mean, and that's the other part of it is, you know, once you start sitting down with these candidates, it's, you know, it's not just based on experience. Some people can blow you away and they have never worked in the industry at all. Um, they might be uh, still in school and they just, you know, they, uh, they're they just the exact type of person you're looking for to bring in and, and fit with your, your culture in the office. So, um, you know, it, it's all about timing in my mind on this is, is what we're looking for at the, at that time. And is it, is it a right fit? You know, obviously if somebody has two, three years of minor league baseball experience, that is a plus than somebody who's just finishing their master's program. But then that person with their master's program, you know, they're working hard. They're, they're grinding it out to, to get to where they want to be. So, you know, you can't discount that either. So, you know, beyond looking for, um, whoever's going to staff the the front office for the rock hounds and also like your game day experience stuff, but you're also going to seminars. You're also doing stuff with uh, with the parent club. So talk a little bit about that other side of it, like the professional development side for you and also being able to kind of be with the other teams in the athletics farm system. Yeah. So it's, it's really nice to, to go out and meet, meet the other people that are working in minor league baseball, especially the teams that are affiliated with the Oakland athletics, like we are. Um, and then also, you know, with our ownership group there, there's also ownership of another, uh, smaller team and a smaller market. So getting to, to meet those guys and, and talk to them and just, you know, uh, it, it, I, I love that. It's, it, you get to meet people that are doing the same thing you are in other areas. It's, and you get to, see what their, their issues they deal with or their successes. And, um, you know, I just, I just love being able to network that way. It's, that's what it ends up coming down to, uh, you know, minor league baseball and, uh, they put on great events. So with the banquets, the award ceremonies, the seminars and presentations that they do, um, they bring in a lot of great speakers. Uh, Domingo Alaya was the speaker at the banquet this year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the hallway, run into him beforehand and get to, get to grab a picture with a guy like that. And, um, you know, they, they really put on these great events. So, uh, a lot of it's informational. Um, you know, I sat through a, a few seminars that uh, don't necessarily go within my, my r- scope of my job, but, um, you know, somebody had to go in and, and get that information for the people that were not with us at the event. 
Um, but then, you know, uh, a lot of those sales, sales seminars, it's good to bounce ideas off of everybody. And, um, the presentations are really cool. And, you know, it's always nice if you're nominated for an award or you win one this year, we didn't, but you know, you get to see those other teams that do win those awards and, and, you know, kind of have that mindset of, Hey, we want to be up there next year. So, uh, and then, you know, obviously, Oakland has has their uh, their events going on. We got to go to a cocktail party with them, and you know, getting to talk to Billy Bean and Bob Melvin, and and you see everybody else from Las Vegas uh, that's there. They are AAA, and um, you know, getting to getting to meet those guys. And uh, we actually met our, our clubhouse manager that uh, is coming in for 2020. He's he's also within the organization uh, A's farm system already. He's actually going to be coming in new. So you know, it, it's events like that where you, you know, it, you get those experiences and, um, it, it's, it's just a really great time. So, you know, I think people, and I, I, I think people in, in this, I count me among them. Cause again, I learned so much just in this first year, don't fully realize how, you know, 365, a job like yours is. And so now the winter meetings are over, which sort of feels like the unofficial, or I guess the official end of the 2019 season. Like, what's life like for you now? Do you do you get you gonna get a little bit of time off? Do you get to take a big break and then jump back into it, or is it still sprinting towards the twenty twenty first pitch? So it's a little bit of both. I do get a break here for the holidays. I get to go home and see my family. Um, uh, you know, a lot of our office isn't from West Texas, so a lot of us are traveling. Uh, you know, more than ten hours to to go home um, uh, with myself included. So it'll be nice to to get a break. I mean, San Diego for four days in December uh, when it was cold and windy here in West Texas. Uh, you know, it wasn't like super warm there. I think it was mid sixties the whole week, but it was, it was beautiful to be around the water and just uh, out west like that. So you know, you can't complain about that with a little little work trip that that serves serves in such a great place. But um, you know, personally, taking some vacation here over the the Christmas holiday and. Uh, coming back in uh, January, the first week of January, refreshed with a lot of new faces in the office, uh, just sprinting towards that first pitch. But, uh, you know, I think we've talked about this before, and, you know, it's almost like an inside joke through minor league baseball itself is you know, people always ask, what do you do in the off season? Do you just go home? You know, what what do you guys do once the season's over? Well, that's where we start planning for 2020. We're doing all of our legwork now, uh, planning promotions, scheduling scheduling events uh, at the complex, you know, picking our theme jerseys, picking our uh, charities that we're working with. And, uh, you know, that's where all the planning comes in uh, and all the sales as well. I mean, um, that's that's exactly what we're doing right now is just getting everything renewed and signing new, signing up new season ticket holders and clients uh, for corporate inventory and and everything like that. So it's, uh, I'd say I work harder in the off season than I do during the season. I just have longer hours during the season. <laughs> right. Plus you got to get, you know, prepped for your first appearance on let's get Two in February. And we're hoping for you to be, be on even more often than you have been. Um, I think you've been a great addition to the show. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's fun to talk about what we do. And I think, uh, you, you give us such a great platform to, one reach people that we have it in, in in the past, but then give those listeners a, a, a inside look on on how, the operations of this. Because obviously, if you're a fan that comes to these games, you know we we appreciate you, uh, and we're doing it for you. Uh, you know we we don't have a say in what happens on the field. We don't we don't have a say of who's playing. 
on the field. But what, what we do is bring the entertainment, you know, uh, we, we appreciate you and what you're doing with let's get to. And, and we appreciate everybody listening and all the fans that attend these games. Well, hopefully you'll have a nice Christmas and new year's and we will see you back in February on let's get to Matt. Thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Go, go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. And so we are back on the final Go, Go Astros segment of the 2019 baseball season. Mr. Andy Tom Cheston is with us. How's it going, man? I feel like I've heard this is the final episode at least once or twice before, and yet things just keep getting added on. Baseball never dies. Baseball doesn't die, but but I promised the I promised my wife I'm putting the microphone away. Um, yeah, no, that's true. Like when we went into the hot stove one, we had so much content, we split it into two. Uh, and, and that's why we are calling that one episode 39 and a half, because I cannot end on 41 episodes. So that this, makes is, sense. this yeah. is episode 40 I, or, or 42. And we could, we could do a Jack, a Jackie Robinson retrospective, but no one has time and for this that. Is how you keep, this is how you keep adding on episodes. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's cold stove season. If you're an Astros fan, we have signed, um, a catcher that I can't even think of his name and floated rumors of trading um, Correa to which Correa called Jeff Luno and said, and Jeff told him you're still an Astro for how long and Toro. So what, what do you make of this off season so far? Um, I don't, you know, there's not a whole lot to make out of anything just because this is kind of what, Anybody who's been paying attention to the Astros for the last several weeks should have expected. Um, they're over the first level of the salary cap, if you believe the arbitration estimates. Um, or, the, excuse me, I said salary cap, the luxury tax. Um, and they are trying not to go over the second level. Uh, first level, I believe, is a 20% fine, whatever dollar amount you're over. And then if they make that second level, then it's dollar for dollar. Um, and that's where the money starts, you know, so if you're $10 million over, you're now paying MLB $10 million more million that will go to the Kansas City Royals in some sort of profit-sharing scheme. Um, and, and, and Dustin Garneau is sad that you don't know his name. I hope that Dustin Garneau, you said? Um, Garneau. Yeah. He is French, no? Yeah, oui, oui. Um, so, you know, it's funny because I've seen the argument made that the Astros offense one through eight is good enough that it's okay to have a catcher that's purely a defensive specialist. So why not just go with Stubbs? I mean, I think Stubbs is seen as a good defensive catcher and pitch framer. Um, I, I think the issue with Stubbs as a full-time catcher is the idea that he is compared to other catchers, fairly slight of frame. Um, he is a little guy. You ever saw him stand next to Martin Maldonado last season? Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about because it looked like. Uh, let's say it this way: Martin Maldonado is at least three times the man that Garrett Stubbs is. <laughs> um, and, and I think it's just an issue of being able to hold up day to day because there also is the talk of Stubbs being your 26 man third catcher and also part time left fielder um, to get in some at bats if that's what they're going to do with him. So. I, in general, if you have somebody that you're really high on being the catcher anytime in the near future, I don't know that you'd waste him as the 26th man. You'd put him on the Triple the A Round Rock roster and have him catch every day, every day, every day until you know something breaks. Um, 
through with through with a roster spot where he can play every day in Houston um, because there's no mention of him being the number two catcher unless there are literally no other moves made for the rest of the offseason. And I, as much as the Astros aren't doing anything right now, other than floating rumors to gauge public response, um, you know, I, there, there will be some moves made. They're not going to be obviously Garrett Cole um, or, or anybody of that ilk. Do you feel like, or or how do we how does how does the Astros organization rationalize that they never really did draft or prepare a catcher? I mean, especially since AJ is a former catcher. Uh, well, our first round draft pick last year was a catcher, and they got criticized for over over drafting him. Right. So drafting him earlier than the projections, and I can't remember the kid's name, Rafan. And yes, I'm 48 years old. I'm a man, and I absolutely can call him a kid. Absolutely. Um, but uh, they, they've drafted catchers, and they haven't worked out. Um, we also dealt away uh, Max Stassi, who you know could have been a starting catcher for us this year if all we were concerned with was framing pitches. Um, I, I think they've got other things up their sleeve. I still think Robinson Chirinos makes the most sense. Um, and there's a number of national writers who tend to agree with me. I think the holdup right now is that's um, kind of similar to Maldonado in the 2018-2019 offseason. Chirinos uh, is going to want a two-year deal. The Astros are going to want to offer a one-year deal. And uh, we'll see who kind of bulks first at that. Um but yeah, there's going to have to be an upgrade there. I just think the Astros historically um, are going to lag the market a little bit because they are more concerned with um, an analytic approach to who they sign, what they sign, and what kind of, um, to quote uh, Larry, the GM, another contributor of yours, uh, kind of the ROI they're going to get for you know for every million dollars they spend, how many, how much production are they going to get out of that? And so you can find bargains after the first big wave of free agents goes by. Yeah, it's I and I tend to think that that is the way you you build a lasting winner. And I do want to talk about twenty twenty one in a second. But for as much as it was cool to, you know, the buzz around the Cole signing and the Rendon signing and the Strasburg signing, oftentimes those signings do more to cripple the long term viability of a club than they do to sustain it. Yeah, and it's, I'm in um, Connecticut right now this week, and uh, far away from the winter meetings. Uh, you you were a much luckier traveler this past week, and, um, and the Yankees fans up here all acknowledge fully that yeah, they're very excited to get Garrett Cole, but they're paying nine years for the first three years. Um, anything he gives them after you know age thirty three. 32, 33, they're going to consider gravy because they know they're paying him till age 39. Um, and that back end for a power pitcher, unless your name is Nolan Ryan or possibly Justin Verlander, it's not always pretty. Um, there's very few, and that's what makes them so rare. And maybe Cole will be one of those guys, but um, the odds are that he's going to pitch at a superior level up until the point that he doesn't anymore, and it's going to fall off pretty quickly. Um, so we'll see, but you know, good for the Yankees for making that move. Um, I still, like I was telling the guys yesterday here, um, we'll see you guys in October. I really still feel like that's where we're heading. I mean, even just the, the war perspective, the war like projections with 
Cole being a Yankee, the Astros still lead in that. And I think they're still the third favorite to win the World Series. And so much of the Vegas favorites come as much off the energy that we feel as fans. So what what do you think things look like in 2021 um, in regards to more like a, my, my big question is George Springer. Do you feel like George Springer is an Astro for life or do, or do you feel like they're going to let him walk? And then does Correa eventually get traded if you have to put on your, your crystal ball? Um, you know, part of this is always wishful thinking, right? So I think Springer is a Astro for life if he wants to be an Astro for life. Um, I believe there is, if it hasn't already happened in the near future, um, some pretty serious numbers being thrown around to George's camp. And I don't know George Springer other than watching him play for the last several years. I I don't know what his desire is. I don't know. He hasn't made as much noise as some other guys about, can't wait till it's my turn to be a free agent. Um, You know, and there's, I imagine a certain amount of comfortability um, being with the franchise that drafted you and brought you up and, uh, stuck with you through some of your struggles as you were transitioning to, you know, kind of the all-star player he is. Um, so my hope is that, yes, that gets worked out and that gets worked out this off season and we've got some certainty on it. Um, it, it you know, beyond that, I think Correa, uh, I saw a tweet and, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions. I saw a tweet yesterday, uh, this morning from somebody named Bill who said, uh, yeah, Luna, Luno lied to Carlos Correa about trading him the same way Correa lied to Luno about breaking his rib. Um, so there's, <laughs> you know, obviously some relationship that needs to be fixed there um, if there's anything to repair. But the Astros are a business at the end of the day. I know a lot of people uh, don't trust Carlos Correa uh, and think he's a little bit soft from a playing perspective. I think there's plenty of fans that love him and don't buy into or get into all the drama around him. Uh, but the reality is he's a guy who has averaged fewer than 100 games the last couple of seasons. This last season, only 75 games. Um, 50 of those games were for a very preventable, freakish, kind of flukish accident. But um, that's the, the other more serious 25 games that he missed were uh, due to a back injury a back injury that's lasted over the course of two seasons now to the point that he was flying flat on his back to playoff games. Um, if you can find value for that guy, I think the Astros have to research that and have to know what they're going to get because he's another guy when he's healthy that produces really, really well and is going to command a lot of money. And at some point you can't afford in the current salary structure um, that is major league baseball to have seven max guys. Um, and I know I'm mixing basketball contract terminology with baseball and probably some football in there too, but realistically you've got Verlander, you've got, um, Altuve, uh, Bregman's going to be another one of those guys. And then you've got Springer and then you've somehow got to take the hundred million dollars you're spending every year on those four guys and build the rest of the team with the other hundred. So you've got 22 other guys you've got to find room for and be able to afford. Uh, the Astros are going to have to juggle that, and that's why you're going to see a heavier reliance on a Jordan Alvarez or a Kyle Tucker um, or maybe an Abraham Toro if he continues to hit the way he's done in the minor leagues. Um, and you're going to have to have new stars emerge. You're going to have to draft well. You're going to have to develop well. You're going to have to get them to the major leagues uh, as quickly as you can while still preserving you know, the max, the max production on those six years that you actually have them on your major league roster. Now, the other thing that you're asking about 2021, um, 
I personally don't believe that we're going to get away without a work stoppage soon. Um, not next year, but probably uh, the talks will get more intense after that. And, and so who knows what salaries look like and how they're structured and how they're counted against a team past 2021 or past 2020 even. Um, I think the CBA gets renegotiated. And at that point, I mean, who knows what any of that's going to look like. And so you're, you know, a team like the Yankees who just signed Garrett Cole for a nine-year deal, that may be something that doesn't go back to harm, harm them at all because maybe the luxury tax goes away or there's Larry Bird-type rights or whatever, or maybe it cripples them for the next decade because they've tightened the reins and put a ceiling in where other teams have to, or a floor in where other teams have to spend a certain amount of money. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, the players' union is very dissatisfied with the way the owners are handling things. Um I'm dissatisfied that we didn't somehow sign uh, Anthony Rendon and trade Carlos Correa and move Bregman to shortstop. So, you know, there's a lot of dissatisfaction all the way around. Yeah. And, and it's funny where, you know, where this, this thing can go because it seems like major league baseball, my sense is if I were to guess is that they're going to get rid of the, of the tax and then we're going to end up back to where we were before, where it truly is, the Yankees, Dodgers, and Red Sox, and everybody else, and I don't, I just don't think that's good for the long term um, health of the sport. I was the guy. We were both old enough to remember when the NFL had no salary cap, and it was really right. good for the team I followed. And the team, and ever since that, you know, you want to talk about Jerry Jones running the team, but ever since that salary cap came in, the Cowboys haven't won anything. I think the the that the Major League Baseball is going to go the opposite direction. And it's going to end up being really bad for the sport. I, I, I wouldn't disagree, but I think if you are going to do cost control, I, I think you have to go to something that more resembles the NBA system of a hard cap with some exception rules built in there versus a tax where it still enables a team like the Yankees to decide they want to pay that tax. Um, yeah, there's some danger, obviously, if you've got no limits because the big market teams are going to spend more. And it's not necessarily even that it puts them in a better position to win. It puts them in a better position to make up for their mistakes quicker. So the Yankees of the uh, 90s developed a couple of great players uh, in Jeter, in Rivera, um, and you know a couple of others that I'm sure your Yankee fan listeners are going to jump on in your comments. Uh, but by and large, they made a lot of mistakes in free agency, but they could keep doing it because there was no limit to how much money they could do stupid things with. The Mets are the classic example of that because I think they're still paying Bobby Bonilla uh, <laughs> in 2019. I, and I'm not joking about that. I think he's legitimately still drawing a paycheck from a contract he signed in the 90s. Um, but and that's, you know, I think there's a lot of problems to be fixed at the major league level. Um, and of course, the stupid answer to that, to tie it back to your show is, well, let's cut some of the minor league levels. Well, that's not going to save the amount of money that they're throwing away at the major league level on not being proactive about developing their teams. Um, as a matter of fact, I think there's a pretty good example sitting in Houston, Texas of how in a very short amount of time, if you draft and draft well, and I'm not even talking about one, one type guys, but certainly take, make your first and second round picks count. Uh, you can build it and be competitive really quickly. If you have the right development in place, if you have the right system in place, if you have the right coaches in place, uh, the Astros do, um, some other teams 
don't. The Cubs, I think, are another great example of a team that got into and stayed in contention really quickly by building through the draft. Uh, the model in Major League Baseball is still always going to be, unless there are just dramatic, dramatic changes, to build through the draft and, and, and build a team that way. Where it's heartbreaking for a team like the Astros is eventually you do it so well that you can't afford all the players you want to keep. Um, and I think realistically that's where they're going to be. Having said all that, uh, we're not to that point yet. Um, you want to talk about Carlos Correa going away? Well, first you've got to find a team that's willing to take him and give you something that you want in return. Uh, and they're going to say the other teams are going to say the exact thing that I just said. Oh, well, he's a guy that played 75 games last year. Why would I give you anything for him? You're right. obviously dis- you're obviously dissatisfied with him. Why would you be shopping him? Um, so it, it's you know, it, and that's why Luno and um, his team are so critical to the future of the franchise and the future of getting to where they want to be of that Cardinals like model that we talk about where um, you're going to let free agents walk, but you're going to be in contention for a playoff spot every year. And as we saw in 2019, once you get to the playoffs, literally anything can happen. So um, two questions. One, what do you think, um, you know, all this, all this sign stealing stuff, what do you think any fallout is going to end up being from that for the team? Uh, my guess, um, is probably something fairly similar to what the NFL has done with the Patriots. Um, and I think the Patriots are probably more overblown than the Astros case are. I, my, my personal opinion is something probably was going on. I don't know that it still is. I think that if the team was smart, they insulated AJ Hinch from any knowledge of what was going on. But I think ultimately what you'll see is a fine, and it'll probably be a million-dollar fine, so it feels like a big number to the um, people following the story, and a restatement of the rule to all um, other 29 teams. And that way it's kind of, uh, okay, we've cleaned the slate and clapped their hands. We're going to take away their third-round draft pick or something along those lines. I don't think the what the Yankees fans and Dodgers fans are asking for of a uh, recall on the 2017 world series and a lifetime suspension for AJ Hinch and Jeff Luno. I don't think any of that's going to happen. And I think if it does, um, or if it's even suggested, there's going to be so many lawsuits flying back and forth. uh, This whole thing will die in court somewhere because ultimately it's just not a good look for major league baseball. Um, I still the logistics of the whole thing, and I know you and I have talked offline about this logistics of the whole thing don't make any sense to me, Um, because if you're in that stadium and there's more than, I don't know, 200 people, you would not be able to hear a trash can from the bullpen and then be able to signal into a batter in time for the batter to be able to see or vice versa. However, any of that stuff actually worked. The logistics just don't work in my mind. Maybe it does. Maybe the hand-eye coordination of a major league batter is so great that all this stuff can happen in a half of a second. But, uh, you know, realistically, we hit worse at home um, in 2017 than we did on the road. We won fewer games at home than we did on the road where we wouldn't have had that kind of system. Um, (coughs) Matter of fact, we couldn't close out the Dodgers at home when we – supposedly had that system in 2017. So, you know, ultimately I think it's, you know, there could be a slap on the hand. I would be shocked if there were any substantial suspensions or bans or anything like that. And I don't think that major league baseball wants to get in the 
business of having any option to remove a world championship from a franchise. It opens um, it up. If you do that, it opens up every single world series in the, in oh, the steroid era gets opened up for that level of scrutiny. Absolutely. Uh, Major League Baseball doesn't want that kind of press. I'm honestly amazed that Rob Manfred can't keep his mouth shut about this beyond saying we're still evaluating because he seems to really relish this idea that he's going to catch somebody doing something. Um, it, just like this morning when he said, um, or maybe it was yesterday, 70, we're processing through 76,000 emails. Yeah, if you took an, a, a franchise um, email server and went through a year's worth of emails, you're going to have about 76,000 emails. That doesn't mean that there's 76,000 emails to deal that have anything. To yeah. Do with and that's the indication system. he made. So that way the press ran with, Oh, they were all. And, and I think I commented on someone's Twitter by saying, come on, half those are memes. Calm down. Absolutely. Um, and forwards and just horrible things that you shouldn't be doing in an office. Maybe there'll be a sexual harassment suit out of it because, you know, we're good at that too. <laughs> but that. I don't think there's going to be, I don't think anybody's stupid enough to come up with a scheme to defraud Major League Baseball and put it in 76,000 emails. On an ass, on an, on a, and if they're going to do it, they're going to do it on a, on a discoverable, uh, discoverable media. They'll do it through their, their the, the same Yahoo account they use to, to subscribe to porn sites. Absolutely. <laughs> Not their astros.com email. That's why Ymail was created. Exactly. So now that, you know, so that brings us back to my last question. Um, you know, you're doing some volunteer work out in Connecticut uh, over under on number of, of times they put you in charge of placing the trash can in places. Um, I've, I've dumped it over a couple of times just on accident, and uh, I don't have anything to hit it with, though. Um, <laughs> if you use quarter rounds um, to bang on a track, it's just not the same reverberation that you get from a lead pipe or a baseball bat or Mike's fire skull or whatever they use. <laughs> that's good to know well uh, Andy that is our last episode for the year uh, we'll be back in February but thanks a lot for being so, for such a big being such a big part of the show and I've got some winter meeting swag on its way to you right now sweet well thank you very much for having me uh, look forward to next year and possibly being invited back and Merry Christmas to you and Jeff and all of your listeners out there And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. And so that closes us out of this episode of Let's Get To and the first season of Let's Get To. I want to thank so many people. Thank you to Andy, Nathan, Scott, and Timothy for giving up so much of their time and talent to help make this season happen. It means the world to me that you believed in the show and the concept to do that. Thank you to the teams who opened up their organizations to us. We were an unproven commodity, and sometimes it can be hard to take that first leap. But so many of you took the opportunity, and again, your time, to be on our show, and it means the world to us. Thank you to the fans of minor league baseball, always willing to chat at games and answer questions from this random guy who would just sort of sit next to you, including if that happened to be your season ticket seat with your own name on it. Really sorry about that. But it was an amazing season for that. I want to thank Andy Bertelson, Grace Usselman, and Michael Hoffer for the music. They did the versions of Take Me Out to the Ball Game that we rotated through the season. Thank you to the fans of the show. We've been blown away by our listenership, by the fan engagement, and the loyalty. Some even said we were their favorite podcast. And, you know, I, I, 
take from that the same thing I take anytime we would make a film. You might accidentally make someone's favorite movie, so you need to put all your effort into it. And so for those of you who said that to us, we are deeply humbled. And I want to thank you, especially to my wife, Jessica. You've heard her on the show. She's an anchor through all of this. She's been an anchor through all of this, all of the major endeavors of my life. She bought into the first idea that we should do this, just like she did with our film festival, and just like she did when I said I wanted to go to film school and start making movies. There's no better person than I know. Really, I am nothing without her. So thank you, baby. I love you so much. And again, thank you. Enjoy the holidays however you celebrate them. Hang out with family. Enjoy the time off. I hope your favorite football teams win. So much do they not interfere with the Longhorns Alamo Bowl appearance, the Alamo Bowl. I forgot which bowl they were in, then I remembered it was the Alamo. Ah, you guys are going to miss those jokes. And as long as your football teams don't interfere with the Cowboys' super dominant under 500 season. But seriously, I hope you have a great off season. Good luck surviving the rest of the void. Pitchers and catchers will report before we know it, but until then, enjoy the holidays. Embrace the void. Embrace your families. Revel in the crisp kiss of winter. And as always, let's get to. Save me and to the Yeah.